Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. With this episode today, we are beginning a series on overcoming objections to Christianity. To start with, we want to address the criticism often leveled at Bible-believing Christians today that our perspective on salvation is too narrow-minded and exclusive. Who are we to say that all the other religions are wrong? In order to tackle this issue, we begin with the words of Jesus himself, who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and that he was the only way to God in John 14.6. The simple fact is that if we remain committed to Scripture, then the question is not, is Christ the only way to salvation, but how is it fair that Christ is the only way to salvation? What about the old lady in Fiji who never got a chance to hear about Jesus? Whether you've wrestled with this yourself or others have brought this as an objection to you, I encourage you to listen in as we discuss five potential answers to this question. How is it fair? And what does God plan to do? Here now is Offscript Episode 17, Is Jesus the Only Way to God? Today we're talking about the subject of exclusivism, and in particular the exclusive claim that Christianity offers the only way to salvation. And we get this idea from John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so what we find here in this statement, but also in the rest of the Gospel of John, is Jesus saying over and over that he is the one the Father has sent, that we have to come through him to the Father. And in particular, this statement I just quoted where he says, no one comes to the Father through me, is saying it both in a positive and a negative way. So he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way. And so from a biblical point of view, as Christians, we are stuck with this. I mean, there's really not, if we're going to be faithful to the Bible, there's really not any way around this line of thinking about salvation that It is exclusive, and Jesus is the one God has sent to save us. You know, like it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to save us from perishing and get eternal life, right? So that's the means God has provided. And yet, in our society today, this way of thinking is considered to be very narrow-minded and very offensive because... How are you to say that there's not some other way? Are you saying that all the other religions in the world are wrong? Are you saying that all Muslims are wrong or all Hindus are wrong? What do you guys think about this question? And have you ever had any conversations with people about this subject before? I think this is an objection that comes up quite often, which is why we're addressing it here. But yeah, you know, when I talk about my faith, I was talking to Rose earlier today and I was dating a girl and and was trying to share my faith with her. And this question was one that really got us stuck. And I wasn't equipped at the time to talk about it. I said some things. I I talked about the resurrection and what sets Christianity apart. But at the end of it, she wasn't convinced. And that wasn't really what, what annoyed me about that situation and how I handled it. It was that I felt like later on that I could have done such a, a much better job. 
and you know, and talking with other friends about this, yeah, it, it definitely comes up a lot. And I think that's a symptom of, I don't think people had this objection too often back in 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think this is a product of, you know, this age that we live in where truth is relative and it's been amplified in the times that we live in. I had a discussion uh, with a lady from a very, I mean, it was, um, it was an organization I was volunteering for and they were very like Eastern minded, um, very influenced um, by Hinduism and those sorts of ideas. And I knew this going into it and um, I was having my interview, it was just to do volunteer work, um, but I was having my interview over Skype with this lady and she did ask me like where I was from a faith standpoint and I kind of knew it was going to come, but she was very closed off to me um, when I said that I did believe in in one truth and um, she definitely tried to maneuver um, herself into more like a superior position because she said, well, we accept everyone. And I said, I said, I will certainly be tolerant and respectful of other people's positions, but that does remain. The idea that truth is greater than your beliefs um, and it's not your beliefs um, that are constructing truth. Yeah. The truth is bigger than your beliefs. Yes. You don't want the tail wagging the dog. And also I would take comfort in that. I am a flawed human. I don't want to create my own truth. You know, I think truth and sort of the moral code and how you live your life has to come from outside of you or else you're your own God. And we see what happens when people live out their desires and people screw up their lives. I've screwed up my life. You know, like I take comfort in the fact that there's a truth outside myself. When you were talking about this woman in this conversation you had with her, I couldn't help but thinking that she has her own truth. Her truth is probably something like all religions are the same basically or they're all equally valid whatever makes you happy that's the truth that she was pushing on you Mm -hmm. Mm. so it's really not all that different i think we are all fundamentalists at heart we really are it's just the question is what is the fundamental you hold to for example are you a pluralist that is somebody that thinks that like i just said all religions have equally valid truths and that you have your truth, I have my truth, and I should not try to change what you believe, you should not want to change what I believe, and we're all gonna be okay in the end. Well, that itself is a narrow-minded belief system, and anyone that comes up against that, like, I don't know, half the world, just off the top of my head, that's the Christians and the Muslims combined, is half the world. And they say, well, actually our ancient faith tells us that we have one way and the other ways are wrong. So now the person, the pluralist, who's trying to seem open-minded and fair is themselves passing judgment on the exclusive-minded people. Mm-hmm. Pluralism sounds really good. It does. You know, mm-hmm. it's very attractive. And, and especially in a setting where, you're, you know, if you're talking about religion or beliefs, you know, it's a great baseline to start from, or it seems like a great baseline to start from because you don't, you don't offend anybody. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets along and you can, you know, you have your truth. I have my truth and that works. But if you scratched beneath the surface, there's nothing there. It's, it's only surface. If everybody starts at the, at the point where anything goes, then what do you truly believe in? You'd have to be a very confident person to believe that the truth that you've constructed within your own mind, based on, you know, an amalgamation of different religions and stuff is the truth, you know, like, well, in the very course of concocting that amalgamation, you are passing judgment on 
the traditional adherence to each of those respective faiths. Right, you're discarding certain you're, things. You're saying, I like this part of Islam, but I reject the rest of it. I like this part of Hinduism, I reject the rest of it. You are passing judgment. You're being very judgmental over the ideas and which ones you think are valid. How are you making those judgments? Right. It's just based on preference. So if you're gonna be pluralist minded, it often only can survive so long as you are ignorant of what the various faiths actually teach. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited here. What I'm saying is, what I'm talking about is the facts. So, for example, Christianity believes that Jesus died by crucifixion on a Roman cross, and somehow or other, different Christians would put different spins on this, but somehow or other, because Jesus died, we're saved, or we have the ability to be saved, God has opened up salvation for us through the shed blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. Islam teaches that Jesus was never crucified. Judaism teaches that he was crucified, but it doesn't do anything for our salvation at all. At best, Jesus is a prophet who got executed by the government. At worst, he's a false prophet, somebody who was falsely making claims and he got what he deserved. Mm -hmm. There's no way to make all three of those perspectives to be the same. Right. And that's because religions are more complicated than just a set of values. If Muhammad never went to Medina and cleared out the idolaters, if he never went to Mecca and waged that war, you don't get Islam. If Jesus didn't actually ride into Jerusalem and end up crucified and God didn't raise him from the dead, you don't have Christianity. Christians mm -hmm. will tell you, you don't even have Christianity. Like Paul, he says, if Christ is not raised, then we're of all men most miserable, mm -hmm. right? So I would rather have a good listener than a narrow-minded pluralist who claims to be open-minded. In other words... I'd rather have somebody that would listen to what I actually believe than somebody that's going to tell me, oh, well, that really just means this. And you're really being too narrow over here. Be like, hey, you're not really accepting me. I feel like what you're really doing is saying that I'm wrong and you're right because I have to think like you. And that's exactly the thing they're condemning. Yeah. So I don't think that works. Pluralism is designed to not be able to be pinned down. Mm. And it's kind of a weasel move, like it's an out and it's a social crutch, if you will, to talk about religion without really talking about religion. Without committing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's very open-ended. There's no lid on it. There's no lines. It's a catch-all. Yeah, I think there's an issue of substance to it. Now, when it comes to society and people getting along, I think pluralism can be helpful. And I personally prefer a pluralistic society to a, a religious monoculture because yeah. in a homogeneous society, you have to agree with the orthodox. With, yeah, with the orthodox position or else you yourself are going to get into trouble. And in a pluralist society, you don't get discriminated against on the basis of your beliefs and practices so long as they don't break certain agreed upon laws that people from different religions and backgrounds hold as authoritative. In this country, in America, in the colonial period, it was very narrow. Mm -hmm. And you had to be not just a Protestant, but you had to be a Puritan. And if you weren't a Puritan Protestant who agreed with the typical doctrines that these guys were teaching, then you would get persecuted. There's the actual belief aspect of the question of pluralism. And then there's the question of society. How do you get along with other people? Mm -hmm. 
And so I, on the one hand, I want to condemn pluralism as a belief system and, and stick to what Jesus says, that he actually did claim that there's one way to God and that he is that way. And at the same time say, but I'm okay having a non-Christian neighbor or coworker who has a different perspective. And I think I'm okay with that because of how we, we see God working with people in the Bible. He's not coercive. He, he just doesn't operate that way. I mean, he wants people to freely choose him. I was just thinking about the covenant that God made at Mount Sinai. At that point, when people commit themselves to God, with Moses there and, and the Ten Commandments and all that, people could have left right then and there. Mm-hmm. They could have said, you know what? These rules are not really good. I'm going to take my family. We're going to go to this other country over here, or we're going to go back to Egypt. Nobody's going to stop you. Right, and there's not going to thunderbolt come out of the right, sky and right. smite them. <laughs> and even Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, he he comes, he checks the scene out, he gets invited to stay, and then he, uh, he chooses not to. There's no forcing him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it seems like that's how God operates, that he takes faith very seriously. And faith is trust, and trust cannot be forced. I mean, you can force somebody to do something, but then it's not trust anymore. It's mm. just like Out you're making fear me do it. Or, yeah. yeah, compulsion. Coercion. Well, what do you guys think about the social perspective? I, I mean, I, I like interacting with people. I think Christianity is inherently evangelistic, mm-hmm. and this opens up an opportunity to speak to people. Mm-hmm. At its core, we who seek to find our way to God in one way or another, or you know, as we believe that God has provided a way to himself uh, for us, it comes out of a need um, and whether that need is salvation or to deal with pain or um, the scary questions of what happens after you die, that is why people either, you know, seek for God or construct some sort of meaning for themselves ultimately. And um, because of that, that is why we want to go tell people, not because we have an agenda with our system of belief, but because people have needs. So I think that is the driving thing. And we don't mean to be arrogant and we don't mean um, to just our system of belief is not the point. Um, it's the truth that we believe and our convictions uh, because we believe that it adheres to reality. And um, it's out of concern for people that we bring this message, not out of um, some sort of ideological agenda. Let's talk about the question of geography. Sometimes people will say the only reason why you're a Christian is because you're born in America or the only reason why you're a Muslim is because you're born in Pakistan. And there's an undeniable force to that question. Yeah. <laughs> you look at certain countries and they do tend to have more people like India has a ton of Hindus, whereas Japan does not. And people that are born into religious families do tend to adopt the views of their parents. But the problem is with that line of reasoning is it's too powerful. Say it's an atheist who's bringing this up. They're like, well, the only reason why you're a Christian is because you were born in America to Christian parents then you can turn back on them and say, well, the only reason why you're an atheist is because you live in the 21st century in a post-Enlightenment context where uh, all-truth claims have been dis- dismissed by Nietzsche as power grabs. So you're, you're just falling in line with the cultural moment into which you were born. So your atheism is invalid too. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's too powerful. I would say it's too all-encompassing because you can make yeah. that argument for anything. And, and, if, and if an atheist would say that to me, I would be like, you're absolutely right. As a kid, I was brought up in it and I had no choice. I, I took the biblical paradigm for granted as truth when I was a kid. But then you reach a, a certain point where you have questions and you go and seek those questions out and 
you prove to yourself and you, and you, or you work to prove to yourself and you investigate these things and then your faith becomes yours. And that's why I'm a Christian, not because my parents that might've gotten me started down the road, Mm -hmm. but there's definitely that line where you make it yours. And you, I feel like this podcast is part of that, like Mm -hmm. where we're talking about apologetics and we're talking about objections and, you know, that's all a part of owning your faith. And there are so many people that grow up Christian and turn away for whatever reason. Right. Mm-hmm. What about our mutual friend Ali, who grew up Muslim in Pakistan, and now he's a Bible-believing Christian mm-hmm. in America? Yeah. So one man just disproved that whole theory. I mean, he's supposed to still be a Muslim. He was born and raised in, in Pakistan. And he was a Muslim, mm-hmm. and, yeah. as far as I know. No, yeah, he was. Yeah. And so... There are enough exceptions that, that you can't say, oh, that's just as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, the simple fact is there are rational reasons we have. There are social reasons. There are emotional reasons. And there are geographical reasons, too. If you live in a faraway place that everyone's Buddhist, yeah, it's going to be a lot more unusual to run into a, a random Christian there mm-hmm. than it is in canada their argument isn't wrong it's just too simple it's reductive right and it it doesn't say a ton so how about somebody that's born into a buddhist community and they have never heard about jesus christ what about that person as far as that person coming to christianity yeah i think you're at a disadvantage but it's not impossible there have been people that have converted from islam and to christianity and from christianity to islam yeah, I don't know, I'm kind of struggling here, but I think my overall... Let's, let's, let's cruise through the options. One option is they're damned because they never heard the gospel right. and they're just never going to get an offer of salvation. I think if that were the case, and I, maybe you guys disagree with me on that, I think God would still be just because I don't think God owes us anything. I think salvation is a gift. Our natural path is to die. We're born mortal and eventually we die. Mm. And... That's that's sort of the the fair shake God gives everybody, and really, there are plenty of people like you said with deve- developmental disabilities, mm-hmm. or who die in war, or who who die in other freak accidents, or whatever. People whose lives are are cut short. Who die at birth, or who die at birth, right? Holding that to the side, I think God still doesn't owe the average person really anything, because salvation itself is a gift that He chooses to give to those who hear the gospel and put their faith in it. Now, that's one perspective. I call that uh, the Mark Driscoll perspective. You ever Mm -hmm. heard of Mark Driscoll? Oh, yeah. Another point of view, and this is on the opposite perspective, more the Clark Pennock perspective, which says that everyone will get a chance one way or another eventually to make that decision, which is to say either someone will get a chance during their life or after death they will have an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it. Then you have the universalists, which are even further to that side, where they say whether you had a pers- uh, an opportunity or not, if you end up going to the lake of fire, going to suffer in some sort of judgment, the universalist says that this is really a place to purge your sins, and eventually you'll end up saved in the end. So like you suffer in proportion to how many sins you've committed, and then eventually you will get saved. So th- those are those are three options right there. A fourth option would be the, what I, I like to call it the alley-oop option. I think of the example of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, 
where you have someone somewhere that's searching and then God sends somebody to find them. Mm. You know, God makes the connection. So like in basketball, alley-oop is when you throw the ball up and then the other guy slam dunks it. Mm -hmm. So this is like God setting up the pass and then the human agent, whoever is available, goes over there. And, and you've seen this, we've seen this in the course of missionary work, especially over the last 300 years, where missionaries will travel to countries far away in great risk of their own lives. Mm. I mean, there was that one missionary movement, I forget what it was called, uh, Christian Students Movement maybe, where they would pack their belongings in caskets. They would use a casket as their luggage because more often than not, people that went to the field in that country to preach would die of some sort of sickness <laughs> oh my gosh. Before they, so they so they would pack their belongings in a coffin. It's uh, <laughs> very pragmatic. <laughs> right? To a fault. Morbidly so. Morbidly so. Also so dedicated. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so you have these different things where people do go and take the example of William Carey, the British missionary to India in the eighteen hundreds, who had the vision to bring the gospel there at the time he did. I mean, how are we to say that God didn't orchestrate that mm. or any of the other missionaries that have traveled around and have found people groups that don't already know about Jesus? Oh, and then, then there's there's a fifth option too. A fifth option would be that God judges people based on how they respond to the light they have. Romans 2.7 says, who, or 2.6 says, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. And it, it does seem to be the case from Romans 1 as well that the Apostle Paul teaches that everyone does have general revelation in the sense that you can look at creation and infer God's existence. Mm -hmm. And so you might not know the name of Jesus. You might not know the gospel message, but you might just know that God exists based on looking at the stars at creation itself mm -hmm. and then live according to the light that you have. Now, the objection to this is to say, yeah, well, Jesus still said he's the only way. It doesn't sound like Jesus is the only way. If you can just be a pious Buddhist and then in the end get saved and enter into the kingdom in the time of resurrection. Well, what if God applies the work of Christ to that person? Mm, kind of like Abraham. From, apart from that person knowing about it. If you're talking about the noble savage, this is somebody that doesn't have anything by which to construct a belief. He just sees the stars. He sees the sun. He sees that the sun comes up every day which is a promise in the Bible. I have no problem believing that if that man were to die, that God would impart and apply Christ's work to his life, even if he didn't understand, you know, the theological mechanisms that, that underpin Christianity. Mm -hmm. As far as God's mercy goes and, and my understanding of the Bible, yeah, I don't think that bars that man from, I mean, you look at Jesus on the cross where he, he told the guy that was getting crucified with him, and there are different interpretations of this passage, but, you know, I say unto you today, you will be with me in paradise. That guy didn't live his life. Do you think God in that, or Jesus in that situation imparted salvation to that guy? Yes. Yeah. So there's theology to Christianity, but if you're not exposed to Christianity mm -hmm. and you have no chance to develop it, I don't think that bars you from receiving salvation. Mm -hmm. Going on a little further um, in Romans 2, where you were reading from earlier, Sean, 
there are some interesting verses, and it does talk about those who have not heard, and basically talking about Gentiles. But I'll read uh, Romans two fourteen through sixteen. Yeah, yeah, that's good. He says, "For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Presumably, like through conscience, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day that when, according to my gospel." God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So with the language in there um, that basically through their conscience and the law being written on their hearts, uh, this may be enough to accuse or even excuse them. Um, so there is hope there that for knowing what you know, which may be incredibly limited, um, you do have the testimony um, of God's works before you. We do have uh, this here that if you um, take the law of God that is written on your hearts, take your conscience and do the best that you can seeking after God and and seeking to live righteously, um, that there is hope of being, ex- you know, to use the word uh, here in the ESV of being excused. There's also the question of human agency. You know, there is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. There is, we are called to go out into the world. And the Bible is translated into something like 550 languages. Mm -hmm. And there's almost 3,000 languages that have a portion of the Bible. I think the people that we're talking about, where there are these grand sort of the noble savage exception, it's a very narrow band. Not to say that, that, that they don't matter. They certainly do. If you live in the first world or if you lived in the third world, a vast, vast majority of people who want to compare different belief systems against each other and different belief systems against historical evidence have the wherewithal to do it. Maybe not, maybe not a vast, vast majority, but like if, you know, if you're, you know, dirt poor in India, you don't, and you can't read, you know, like there's a lot of people like that. So I would, I would step back on that a little bit, but for people in in the modern era, there are resources and ways to to seek truth more so than any other period in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And when it comes to the question of what's God going to do with people who never got a chance to hear, I don't think any of us want to say that we're confident we have the answer to that question. Right. I mm-hmm. I don't. I honestly don't know yeah. what God's mm-hmm. going to do. I, I gave you five options there. Maybe they don't have a chance and that's too bad. They, they missed the boat and now they're just going to be dead forever instead of enjoying the kingdom. Or on the other end, uh, maybe they'll have a chance after death to hear the gospel. In fact, I've even heard one theory, which is kind of out there, but it's the idea that all those who have died without a chance, uh, especially those who, who like die in childbirth or something like that, or um, have uh, mental difficulties, disabilities, that they would be those resurrected in the millennium and that they would have a chance there mm. to respond mm. one way or another. And it's like, well, who knows? But somehow or other, if God is just, and that's really what's driving this whole objection, that's not fair, yeah, mm-hmm. Mr. Christian. It's not fair. For you to say Christianity is the only way, because what about those who never hear about Christianity or who only see bad examples of Christians? Like this one guy I met that was beaten by nuns and he was just so emotionally triggered by even just the thought of Christianity mm-hmm. that he flew into a, a, a flew into cursing and carrying on just just by bringing it up. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have you have all different kinds of perspectives. And look, in the end, we know that God is just 
We also know that God's very merciful. Mm-hmm. I'm confident that he's going to figure out what's the best solution for mm-hmm. this question. I think it's interesting to talk about. I think it's fine to talk about. But in the end, I think it's I, I think there are plenty of scenarios that we've just enumerated here where God would still be just and yet um, there would be people who haven't had access yet. So I don't think the question I don't think the question is as strong as it as it sounds because of that, because there you know, he's God. He's got a lot of capability to solve different kinds of problems. And that all that capability isn't contained in the Bible. I mean, there right. are, there are grand questions mm-hmm. that aren't that you know you don't have the answer for and and that's okay. Yeah. At least mm-hmm. for me, I can speak for myself, that's okay that yeah. there are these grand questions out there. God doesn't tell us everything, but he does go out tell us to go out and preach the gospel. Mm. And we have that and uh, and we know that it is important to to share the hope that we have and the truth that we know. Those who typically bring up the objection, "Oh, you Christians, you know every, you think you know everything, and that only your way is the right way." That whole line of thinking. Usually, those are the same. Those are the kind of people that do have access to Christianity. Mm. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's they're not in the category of the noble savage. They're living with access. They're if they're talking to a Christian, the access is right in front of their face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they don't get a fr- get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. In any one of those, right. vari- unless you're a universalist, which I, I think that is biblically... Uh, incompatible. Incompatible. They've encountered Christianity, and that's a great point, because people that like to use this argument, you can ask them, well, have you investigated why that, that isn't true? Why, why Christianity does make the claims it does, and does, you know, in John, say that Christ is the the way like have you looked at that yourself Mm -hmm. or is this just an easy kind of scapegoat argument to push back against you know beliefs where they actually matter where you have to invest yourself and sacrifice things and create boundaries yeah well if you haven't looked into it then you don't really know one way or another right and it's kind of a weasel move to say to to if if you haven't looked if you have looked into it and you and and you know you don't believe it sure use that argument but like if you haven't then that's just kind of an easy way for you to discount my faith and what i believe because i've done the work and put it in and 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 looked at these things yeah it's a smoke screen mm-hmm. yeah so when we look at jesus we see that he says i am the bread of life i am the light of the world i am the door i am the good shepherd i am the resurrection and the life i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me he says i am the vine you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. I mean, look, G- either Jesus is a megalomaniac or he's the one God sent to save the world. And it's kind of funny, but Jesus says he's the way to God. If we respond, I don't think so, I'll find my own way. It's like a man drowning in the middle of the ocean. He's gone days without food or water. His lips are chapped. He's got salt sores all over his body. His forehead and ears are burnt from the sun. His muscles exhausted, his body shivering and cold with sharks circling around him. And suddenly a boat pulls up and throws him only one rope. And and does he say to that rescuer, how dare you only provide one option? I'll find my own way out of this. Thank you very much. No, of course not. Look, God... God offers a way of salvation. He's not he's not doing that because he's trying to be narrow or exclude other people. He's trying he's doing it because that's the way he chose to save all of us. 
and it's always been inclusive from the beginning. You know, you think about the Ethiopian eunuch. This guy gets the gospel right away in the first century. He didn't have to wait for some sort of evangelism effort to travel to Africa with missionaries to preach to him. Ethiopia gets Christianity right away. Mm -hmm. So what, what is that? Well, that's God saying, look, you're, you're looking, I want to give to you what you're looking for. I mean, he's reading Isaiah 53, one of the clearest prophecies of the crucifixion that we find anywhere in the Bible. And Phillips simply says to him, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me? And right from there, he preaches Jesus. The guy believes right away. You, nobody just believes right away. That man had been working towards it. Yeah. Why does he even have Isaiah? He's right. African. He's not Jewish. So, something has been drawing him. And you see that all throughout the book of Acts, where you have these Gentiles. The controversy between Paul and the synagogue people is always over the Gentiles, because the Gentiles were coming to synagogue, and they were listening in, and as soon as they, it's like they were, it's almost like God was preparing them for the gospel. Because as soon as the gospel comes in, boom, yeah. they jump on board. And then the establishment gets angry and jealous. For that very reason. Right. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, to this whole issue of is God being fair with how he deals with salvation, which is really what we're talking about here, I think we have to back it up and say, look, God has made a way of salvation, the way of salvation. Wouldn't a more proper response be thank you than I can't believe you just did it this way? The crazy thing about this gift too, that this way of salvation um, is that it's not just a bunch of rules. It's already done uh, through the sinlessness of Christ. So, so different from other religions that are trying to build a ladder up to God. God lowers us a rope and, you know, lifts us up right away. It's through the work of Christ. Um, so the gift that we have is tremendous. And, you know, no matter what color it comes to us in, um, it's an expensive gift, you know, at the, at the cost of Christ's life and should be received with great humility and thanksgiving. And at the other end of that is the notion that to receive salvation, there are certain things you have to do and you have to own your faith and you have to stand by your faith and you have to stand over time. And that mm -hmm. comes at a cost. And there are things that, God requires us to do, but would you really want salvation without that? Like, mm -hmm. what, what, not that you're earning your salvation, but you're invested in it and it's a part of you. It's not something that, it's not something that you can believe 40 different things from eight different religions. And then, well, you constructed it and you, and you were true to your own code and here you go. Here's salvation. That to mm -hmm. me is cheap mm -hmm. and there's no sort of investment there on behalf of your own self. Mm -hmm. When I think about the exclusivity um, of Christianity, Sean mentioned the, uh, the drowning man, but I think about like the polio vaccine. It was so scary for so many people. And when it did come around, I mean, you can go out and make your own combination that may or may not save you from polio. Um, and it was, you know, it was scary and new, but there was one thing that for sure was going to save you. And that's similar to Christianity. You can go out and concoct your own thing, but, uh, but if you need something that that's going to last and that is going to give you a strong and blameless standing before God, Christ and the cross will do that for you. So on the question of, is Christianity the only way to God, I want to affirm, yes, it is, because Christianity is claiming that Jesus is the Messiah, that God raised him from the dead, and that that is the way God has chosen to save us. I mean, if I can just narrowly define it like that for the purposes of this conversation, then yeah, that is the only way. Now, what about people who never heard? I don't know. God will figure that out. Maybe they'll have a post-mortem encounter. Maybe God will get them the truth somehow. 
so that there aren't any people that would respond who never got a chance to hear. He's got it figured out somehow. I'm not really, honestly, all that stressed about figuring out which answer is the best. But I can say this, that in our time, when people bring up this objection, it's more frequently because they want to avoid Mm. the claims of Christianity. They want to avoid looking into it or taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. And so I think we can sweep the whole thing to the side and be like, you know what? I really don't know the answer to that because God has not revealed exactly how all that's going to work. But I can tell you this, that unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Yeah. And maybe we wouldn't use exactly that terminology, (laughs) but that's what, that's what Jesus used in Luke 13 when they said, well, why did the tower fall on this guy? kill these people and why did these other people die because Pilate mingled their blood with the sacrifices and Jesus said do you think they were worse than anyone else I tell you no but unless you repent you will likewise perish and so the call goes out to everyone and I think we can call people in our own time like you said Dan before with a challenge and just say look consider it look into it and see if it's valid and make your own decision And that's what I think people need to do. As far as God's justice, I mean, God is so merciful. Over and over, he withholds judgment that's deserved. I mean, if you look at how God dealt with his people during the period of the kings, Mm -hmm. he withheld judgment generation after generation after generation. And after hundreds of years, finally, he brought in judgment through the Babylonians. So I'm okay with whatever God says. And you know what? In the end, we have to let God be God. And that's really his realm to to figure things out. So, what, do you guys have any other concluding thoughts? I was just going to say, I think I think in the Western world, most people have this sort of nagging obligation and going on in, the, in their back of their mind or their subconscious. You know, you can call it a, a I guess a theological hangover from from our Christian roots, cool. where a lot of people feel compelled to investigate God, investigate if there's a if there is a God, and if there is how you follow him. And Mm -hmm. it's a daunting idea to confront because in the information age where there is just a plethora of opinions and information is instantly accessible, you're spoiled for choice in how you want to explore spirituality. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's daunting and it's overwhelming. And so it's a lot easier to just say, to use these objections. And I think that's why another reason why they get brought up so much because deep in a lot of people's hearts, I believe, is this compulsion to to love God. And they push back on that and they use arguments like this because it's easier than doing the work and investigating. And it's certainly much easier than living your life the way that the Bible teaches you. I think we do have a hunger for God and try as we might to sort of create our own way. I, at least for me, um, find great rest in the provision that God has for me and, and in the meaning that I have and that I was desirable enough to, um, to God that the cross is worth it um, for my redemption. And that has brought great meaning to me, far greater meaning um, than I could ever cook up for myself. And I have no empirical evidence to back this up. I do feel like there is a developing spiritual hunger in the secular age. People are wondering about, I sense in, in, the, in the pop culture that there's a move away from secularism. Well, I'm, I hope that what we talked about today got you thinking. And if you have questions or want to make suggestions and say which of the options you think is 
most biblical, most convincing to you, we'd love to hear from you. So please stop by restitudio.org and leave a comment if you can. One of the purposes of the podcast is to equip, I think for listeners, it's it's equipping you to speak with non-Christians about these things. And a lot of what we said might be taken as hardline just because, you know, that verse in John where there there is no other. And I, for one, am glad that, that it's so clear in the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. But those answers aren't going to be satisfying to a non-Christian in sort of talking about ways to discuss this with non-Christians. You know, I just come back to, you know, the place of humility and some of what we said, you know, some of what I said today, today was, d- didn't sound humble. And this whole, whole idea, that's the problem with it is that it's not mm-hmm. humble. There is a, but really putting on the spirit of humility when you're talking to non-Christians about these things. I mean, that's gotta be your starting point because it's so easy to lose somebody when you're talking about these mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think too, you, we, we need to make it personal. If we're talking about the old lady in Fiji who never had a chance to hear her the whole time, I don't know how much profit we're going to have in that conversation. But if we, if we say to the person, Hey, look, I, I realize there's a question about that, but like, what about you? What do you think? Mm-hmm. How does this relate to you? I mean, since you do have access, what do you think? I mean, do you believe in God? What do you think about Jesus? I mean, generally people in our culture like Jesus. So I feel like that's a yeah. great starting point. And, and yeah, just get bringing it into the real world. Like let's stop talking in, in metaphors and yeah, sort of mm-hmm. rhetorical arguments. Like let's get personal. I think that's a great way to, to get part of the way there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we realize exclusivity can be a big stumbling block, um, but share the gospel with love, share the gospel with humility. Uh, You're not out to win arguments. You are out to win people to Christ. So we love you guys. Please uh, comment, like, join the conversation. Have a great week. Cheers. Thanks for listening. This is an important subject that is worth your consideration. If you would like to check out a phenomenal YouTube video, on this same subject by Tim Keller, where he presents at the University of California at Berkeley on the subject of Christian exclusiveness. Check out the show notes where I've got a link to that. I think you'll find his demeanor and approach to be very, very attractive and yet uncompromising. So take a look at that. We'll see you next week where we look at the issue of hypocrisy in Christianity. If you would like to make a comment, please visit restitudio.org where you can find this episode, number 17, Is Jesus the Only Way to God? And drop a comment. We would love to hear your thoughts on this. Also, if you haven't already, please review us on iTunes or Stitcher so that others can find this podcast and be encouraged to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for taking some time out of your day, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.